Welcome to this week's episode of the HC Hive, a podcast about all things HCI, UX, and grad school. We're now in Hershali, students in Georgia Tech's Human Computer Interaction Program. In this episode, we will be talking about data ethics in HCI. Today, we are joined by Yesh, Ellen, and Connor. So let's start ourselves off with a little introduction about ourselves. Hi, everyone. I'm Yash Lara. I'm a final semester MSCI student at Georgia Tech. I do research in the intersection of humanities and technology, specifically in the areas of artificial intelligence, SDS, and ethics in technology. I'm also a managing editor for a journal called Catalyst, Feminism, Theory, and Technoscience, where I engage feminist SDS and queer scholarship for the journal. Very cool. Thanks for being here, Yash. I feel like you have a lot of expertise and we're just excited to hear from you. Ellen, how about you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, my name is Ellen Guo. I'm wrapping up my second semester in the MSHCI program and I'm an aspiring UX researcher. I'm on the psych track, but my undergrad background is actually in anthropology. And I really like to approach UX from that anthropological perspective. I'm really interested in people and culture and yeah, sort of the human-centered research aspect of anthro is what got me interested in UXR in the first place. Very cool. I feel like we don't necessarily have that many anthro people in our program, so it's really cool to have you as part of our cohort. So thanks for being here, Ellen. And finally, Connor, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, so thank you for having me. I'm Connor Brownell. I'm wrapping, also wrapping up my first year in the HCI program. I also went to Georgia Tech for undergrad and sort of found my way to HCI by way of an interest in sort of an ethical approach to, to technology. That was sort of my, my primary interest and that led me to HCI. I've also been a, a TA for an ethics and technology course at here at Georgia Tech for two semesters now. And that's sort of teaching students about this subject has really been a big inspiration for me. So I'm super psyched to, to be here and talk to you guys about it. All right. Thanks for joining us, everyone, and welcome to the HC Hive today. I think we say this time and time again that we love hearing everyone's like different backgrounds and kind of how they ended up in HCI, not only just Georgia Tech in general, but also just this field to see like where everyone's coming from. So we're excited to hear more about that today. But starting us off, data ethics in general is a pretty complex topic. So we're going to try to tackle it in a couple different parts today. So from your all's perspective, what are some of the primary technologies and types of data that are inspiring conversations about ethics to begin with? Yeah, so I've spent a lot of time this semester thinking about online communities and a huge issue is misinformation and disinformation online and sort of the big question is what responsibility do private companies have if any to prevent the dissemination of false or misleading information and there's also sort of a tension of competing interest there because companies can profit off of keeping misinformation and disinformation on their site so so the common example is youtube's recommendation algorithm so the algorithm is designed to keep people watching more and more videos to get more ad revenue. But what they found had happened was that people would be shown increasingly extreme content, including
doing conspiracy theories and disinformation. That's sort of the short version of it, but there's a lot of good stuff written about that out there. And the New York Times has a podcast called Rabbit Hole that is about that topic as well, if you want to know more. Yeah, I do want to know more. (laughs) I will definitely um, check that podcast out, I think. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up like misinformation and disinformation. I think that's a common kind of concept that we've discussed in like my digital health and equity class and like other just more general like technology or digital media classes as well. It's really interesting. We talk about like you mentioned that kind of the role of like private companies in this, but then also like kind of that balance between who's responsible for it, whether they're the companies or the users who are posting like this type of information. So yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic and definitely part of the conversation when we're discussing data and ethics. So thanks for sharing that, Ellen. How about you, Connor? Like, what are your thoughts, especially like you mentioned your TA kind of in this topic, what type of conversations or what kind of prompted those discussions that you're having in those classes maybe? Yeah, so one of the great things about the class ITA is that the students get to bring a news item or article to our, we do these small group discussions every week, and they get to bring a topic that they want to discuss to class every week. And I love that because it exposes me, or it keeps me up to date with what's going on, but also like I think shows the breadth of this issue. So when I think about this, I kind of really think about the all the different types of data that are being collected nowadays. So, and, and what's being done with that. So, I mean, it's, you know, social media is obviously a big player in this field. And the fact that ad revenue, like Ellen said, is like such a big driver of the internet nowadays really incentivizes all sorts of data tracking of, you know, everything from location data with your phone to, you know, using cookies online to track your history across different websites. And so that is what I kind of think of is that sort of the breadth of things that are being collected about people nowadays. And then of course, all the different algorithms that are being trained on that data to try and optimize whether it's watch time or subscriptions or what have you. you Companies like Facebook have so much data at their fingertips. And I think that it's been cool to see my students becoming more and more aware of that in the two semesters I've I've TA'd. It's it's been really cool to see them sort of growing into an awareness of getting beyond like, wow, my smartphone is just this super cool thing I can use to sort of a more nuanced understanding has been really awesome. Yeah. So I think that's what I think of. And, and also, I just want to endorse the, the rabbit hole podcast as well. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that's great that we have two supporters of that podcast. Um, we will be happily supporting that throughout this episode, I guess. But yeah, that's really great, Connor. The point you brought up about understanding like the different types of data, not only the ones that are being shared, but like all the things that's all the information that's being collected on like each individual user, kind of those conversations you've been having with your students. And it's really great you pointed out that through these type of classes, the one you TA'd for, and then also others across Georgia Tech, like having these conversational thinkers about the space, which we'll dig into a little bit deeper later. But lastly, Yash, how about you? Like what type of conversations have you been having within this space or kind of like what are your overall thoughts on what kind of prompts these discussions to begin with? Right. So we have only lately started to understand that technology itself is not mutual exclusive from society but it is very deeply embedded in society and that's been an understanding that people have developed only in the last 10 or so years because before that we always thought that technology is something that you know does not affect society so much it just develops on its own and it develops revenue but we have started to understand now that technology in any form that you develop it is not only going to contribute towards revenue but it's also having a huge impact in society it's changing and revolutionizing the way people live their lives and we have to study whether this impact it's having on the society is good or bad So any technology that is serving a human will have an element of ethics attached to it. And it's up to us as designers and developers to make sure that we are not harming anyone in the process of creating or 
uh, deploying a technology. And that's what basically the conversation about ethics uh, right now has been that people are trying to understand whether anything that we're developing or designing, even though we are our intention towards that technology is to, you know, help the user and to benefit the user. Is it unintentionally having a negative consequence on the society? And this gives rise to the whole concept of unintended consequences. There's a very good paper on it by Nassim Parveen and Anne Pollock titled Unintended Consequences, the political uses of the term unintended consequences. And basically what the paper says is that companies are exploiting this term unintended consequences to get away with the kind of products that they're developing. And every time you find out that this product has actually caused harm to a certain segment of society, uh, the company says that, oh, we didn't intend this to happen. This was an unintended consequence. So even before we realize that this can be an unintended consequence, even before we start developing the product, we should be cognizant of the fact that any technology that we're developing can have the potential to do harm. So how do we try and mitigate this from the start itself, even before we start designing and developing the product? So that's one big conversation that's happening in the field of ethics. And I usually divide ethics in terms of two when it comes to technology. One is in terms of how is this product behaving with society? Is this product affecting the society in a negative manner or not? Is it helping people or not? Is it having any unintended consequences? And the second question to ask is, is this product even required in the first place? Because when you, a lot of the focus on technical aspects of ethics is towards uh, whether this product is having any negative consequences or any negative impact on society. But we must also ask, should we even design this product in the first place? Is this even required in the first place? So that's another important conversation that's happening in the field of ethics right now. Wow. Lots to lots to think about here. And I think through this episode, we will definitely kind of jump into each of these topics that all three of you have mentioned. But Yash, I think you mentioned something that's really interesting and really important. And I think that's also kind of driving this conversation about ethics, all these questions that you guys have sort of presented. And it's the fact that in our own lifetimes, in our own generation, we've seen software technologies and computing technology kind of turn a corner. You know, we've gone from a lot of optimism and a lot of like technology can do everything and it, and it should be built and it's important. And we've sort of seen kind of a darker side or kind of the misinformation or disinformation conversation emerge. And I think it is interesting how like turning that corner, we've seen that sort of happen in our lifetimes and we've seen technology be treated with kind of the same suspicion that, you know, we. so it's been interesting to see that. And yeah, I don't know. I'm just, you guys are saying so many things that are making me think deeply, but, you know, building on what many of you guys kind of started talking about, you know, thinking about the ethics specifically, what are kind of those bigger questions that we're facing in this field? Ellen, I know you mentioned kind of the role of business in, in technology and, and whatnot, but like, you know, what are those kind of big questions that we're seeing kind of emerge? Emerge as technology gets bigger and data or false data, you know, gets kind of propagated and collected even more. Connor, maybe you can start us off on this one. Sure. So I, I think the cool thing which this conversation speaks to already is that one big question in my mind is sort of the construction of and the ethics around all of this in general. I think that is very much a work in progress, I think, which sort of Yash was alluding to and describing. Again, sort of like talking about the class idea, that's something I see like evolved even in two semesters, students' opinions are really changing. I've also gotten the chance to read some really interesting research around this and different sort of practices in the research community around, you know, dealing with big data and online communities and things like that. And it's interesting to find that, you know, not 
everything is set in stone. Like this is very much a changing landscape of how how different you know researchers are dealing with these questions of what data is appropriate to collect, how anonymized should it be, how to report it, and things of that nature. And then the other thing that really comes to mind here is I think you know governments are starting to get involved with this question. The EU's GDPR regulation I think has really been sort of a landmark in this respect in terms of giving people various rights. You know that we're all familiar with the like having to opt into cookies as of a couple of years ago. I think on a lot of websites. I think that is in large part due to the GDPR in the EU and also things like the right to be forgotten was a really a landmark thing that they did, which is basically means you can decide that your data that a company holds, you know, you have the right for it to be deleted when you choose for it to be so. So I think that again speaks to this, the fact that it's all kind of evolving and we're figuring out as we go along, which I think is both exciting and and an opportunity, but also a little bit scary, perhaps. For sure. Yeah, it it is interesting to think that we are kind of as a generation, maybe in like a very important position. And we have so much kind of determining power as we figure out even what questions to ask, right? Like, not only what are the concerns, but like, what should we even be studying and kind of drawing those lines? So that is really, really interesting to sort of be what a time to be alive, you know, but yeah, what, what to you is kind of a a big ethical question or kind of the bigger questions that we need to start tackling or we're just seeing kind of emerge right now. So yeah, what to you are kind of like the big ethical questions that you're seeing emerge through your research and in terms of the work that you do? Right. So when we talk about data, the first thing that directs us is towards what is this data being used for? And most of the data that's collected from the users is, of course, being used to train uh, algorithms and to train artificial intelligence technologies. So when we talk about AI, and the way data is being used to train it, there are two very fundamental things that emerge, which is uh, bias and fairness. So bias and fairness is one of the most important ethical questions that are uh, being raised with uh, respect to AI. Is the artificial intelligence bias towards a particular group of users or biased against a particular group of users? And is the AI technology fair? And we've seen a lot of recent cases in which we have understood and seen that a lot of the AI technologies that we use in our day-to-day lives, which we often take for granted, actually have some very negative uh, and detrimental biases attached to them. A very quick example would be something like a speech recognition assistant, which does not understand any other accent except a white Caucasian accent, which is something that we've seen with things such as, uh, I think a lot of speech recognition assistants that we use in our day-to-day lives. So whenever we use an AI technology, we have to be very careful about what kind of data we're using. Data is a reflection of the society. And since society is biased, since we own have, since we have our own biases and our own cognitive biases, data also tends to be biased. And if we use this data to design and develop a technology, that bias that's already there in society will also seep into that technology. And when we start using this technology and deploy it in the, in the society, that bias is further reinforced. And although many a time this bias is very small, it can have a lot, a huge negative impact on society. For example, a few years back, there was a recruiting tool, an AI-based recruiting tool, which was biased against women. And this actually uh, led to a lot of women losing an opportunity to even interview with a company. And this was identified at a later stage, but the damage was already done. So that's one question that arises about bias and fairness. And the second question that arises when it comes to data ethics is, should we even be using, should we even be developing a technology 
based on this data. So a question that often is associated with this, an example that's often associated with this is that of self-driving cars. There has been a lot of push towards self-driving cars and there's a lot of uh, research that's happening with self-driving cars. But we have also seen a lot of cases and we've also seen a lot of research which points towards the fact that self-driving cars are very biased and they are actually being programmed to kill. So there's a very good research paper, um, are self-driving cars programmed to kill? And a lot of self-driving cars that we see today are actually programmed to protect the passenger and not the pedestrian in the case of a fatal accident. And that itself is a very strong ethical dilemma because why are we protecting the passenger and not the pedestrian? Who gives the company the right to choose whose life is more important? So that's another very big ethical question that's coming into picture. Should we even be programming technology? Should we even be designing and developing technologies in a certain way? Who gives us the right to choose whose life is more important or which um, particular feature is more important in this technology? Wow, okay. That got really heavy. <laughs> um, and so kind of mind-boggling to think about. I guess like a follow-up question for that, Yash, is that like, I mean, you said that data is kind of a reflection of society, right? And it reflects the biases and, you know, whatever assumptions we make as as a society are kind of embedded in the data that we collect. But then I guess to the second question that you raised of like, who are we to decide? You know, who are we to decide that data is then biased in a certain way and that we should be correcting that, right? Like, if we don't want to, if we don't want to train our AI systems on biased data, right? Isn't that also something that we are kind of declaring as individuals and saying that this is bad and we should do it another way? Like, where does that power come from? Or is that is that a call that we are allowed to make even? That's, that's a really good question, Harshali. And that's one of the complex part of ethics is that who gives us the right and the power to decide what to do with something, with how to uh, do something with somebody else's life, like. Because we as designers and developers often make technologies that are impacting other people's lives and having this, making this call of whether this kind of data should be used to train this AI technology or not often leads us into the sort of ethical dilemma that should we even have the right to make this call. But we do as designers and developers know what is good and what is bad. We have this moral compass within us and we know that if we do deploy a biased AI technology, it will have a negative effect on a certain segment of the, of the society, or it will have uh, a detrimental effect on a certain population or a certain community. And when we know that even though this AI, this data is biased, but when you know that this is going to have a negative effect, even if that negative effect is very small, we have the discretion upon our, ourselves to choose whether we want to go ahead, go ahead with it or not. And that that's a sort of power that we rest with ourselves as designers and developers. And this sort of ties to the whole concept of the Rorjian veil of ignorance. As designers and developers, we should be working behind a veil of ignorance. That is, we should not know who we are designing for. In a sense, we should not be letting the biases of our own self, as well as the biases of the users, affect us. We should try and avoid bias as much as possible when we are designing a product or designing a technology. Because if we let that bias affect us, then the, the anything that we're developing or designing will also carry that bias and that will have a negative effect. So that it ties to this whole concept of a religion veil of ignorance. That is an insane concept, but I think we, we'll get into that in, I think, a future question. But thanks, Yash. That was, that was really interesting. And I guess, you know, returning back to Ellen, sorry, we sort of went off on a tangent there. But, you know, what to you are kind of those big ethical questions and, you know, how do they differ from things that Connor or Yash have brought up? Yeah, so I guess I just wanted to comment a little bit on what Yash was talking about. I did not know about the self-driving cars being programmed to protect the passenger over the pedestrian. I mean, that's really, 
I've sort of been sitting here in awe thinking about that for the last few minutes. And I was thinking about, I, I guess I, I think a lot about language and the way that the language we use reflects how we value things. And like in driving or in, in, in motor vehicle accidents, or we call them accidents, right? Because we know that people are fallible and that, yeah, like there's human error. But if a machine is programmed to do that, then we can't really call it an accident anymore. And yeah, I actually, I used to work in healthcare IT actually before I started the program. And these sort of questions about how technology actually affects people's, it actually affects life and death we talked about it all the time because the decisions that we made and how we programmed our software or designed our software could like very much do have impacts on people's medical care and that can obviously impact people's life and death and quality of life and yeah I guess that just that just goes back to how important it is to think about these these sort of life and death issues when designing in those spaces. And then going back to the original question about sort of other big ethical questions. One thing that I think about a lot that I don't actually think is commonly talked about in HCI is the issue of authorship and ownership. So this is actually a big issue in anthropology. I would say that this is probably more related to when we do research. So when we do research, we talk to informants to gain insight into their experiences and narratives. And I guess one ethical question is, is it ethical to profit off of our informants narratives? So profit in this sense can mean like in industry, it could be obviously product, but in academia, it could also be book sales or, or social capital from gaining, like from publication, academics will gain social capital. And yeah, when we do research, we might com compensate informants, but that, it's, that amount is sort of negligible compared to the potential capital that researchers could build. And so it's, it's kind of a hard question with no easy answers. So like some things that people have considered in anthropology is having informants be co-authored on publications and share in the profits of, yeah, like book sales or whatever, like financial profits. But what makes someone an author? Like does, be, does being an informant make you an author? And that's, I guess that's a philosophical question. And yeah, I guess overall, it's just how, how do we do ethical research and how do we, how do we make sure that the research we're doing helps the people that are, I suppose, doing that, doing labor for the research or sharing their, sharing their own lives for the research. Yeah, that's, uh, I think at first this question was like, what are some of the big questions? I feel like these questions um, that are coming up through your three's responses, they're like pretty 
<laughs> big like huge questions i don't even know if we could like there are so there are like mul- multiple ways we can unpack this but i, I want to touch on what you just brought up about like authorship and ownership i think that's really interesting in a sense like from a researcher perspective especially when a lot of times when we write these public not necessarily publication but at least like papers or just like summaries of our research even we might just put like oh the participant once at this or we make sure to keep things anonymous so then there's not like personal information that's being published within our studies but at the same time the the information that's being shared can be a lot of times can be so novel as well, especially when we're using like findings from like user interviews or surveys or contextual inquiries, what ha- whatever method. And that leads to a design, like we have like design implications and requirements that lead into the, like this novel prototype or this technology that we create and potentially could profit from if we like share those ideas and make an actual product out of it. So yeah, that's really interesting. Like now I feel like, am I taking credit things that I just did not do but that I don't know that that's something we'll just have to figure out later but yeah that's so kind of going off that Yash you mentioned like bias within like the data leading to like biased algorithms things like that I think Connor you alluded to it too but as people who want to do research design and development building these future technologies then what are the questions we should ask ourselves to like mitigate these kind of big ethical dilemmas in order to create more ethical products Yash do you have kind of something in mind in terms of how to create products with like ethics in mind? Sure. So as designers and developers, one question that we should ask ourselves before we start designing or developing a product is what values does this product hold? What values are imbibed in this product? And whether we know it or not, all artifacts, all digital artifacts have some of the other values with them. They take some values with them. It's something that was discussed by Landon Winner in his paper, Do Artifacts Have Politics? And yes, artifacts do have politics, whether we are cognizant of them or not. So we should ask ourselves, what are the values that this artifact, that this thing that we're designing and developing hold? And this value can be anything. I mean, a common value that many products would hold is generating revenue for the company, which is fine. But we should also ask, is there any other value that this product holds? Do we want some values to be there in this product? For example, if you're designing a product for social good, the value this product, the main value that this product will hold is social welfare. We want this product to help people. And also, we need to be cognizant that products can hold negative values in them as well. Although we do try and look at the positives of everything, we need to be cognizant and well aware that there can be some negative consequences of this product as well. And we need to ask ourselves these questions. For example, social media, the value that it holds is connecting people. It helps connect people in different countries from different places and brings people closer. So that's one value that it holds. But another value that social media also holds is dividing people into groups. It also segregates people. An example is that you have so many QAnon groups and you have so much misinformation and disinformation on social media that's actually dividing people further it's segregating people further so it's a paradox of values that arises at one at one thing it's trying to connect people by the other way it's also dividing people so this is a value that we need to be cognizant about this is just an example so we need to ask ourselves what values do we want and as people who are trying to do social welfare, people who are trying to help the users, one value that we should try and inculcate in all our products is the value of justice. Do we want our products to serve justice? And I don't mean justice in just the traditional way that it is understood, but just in terms of, is this product not harming the user in any way? Is this product trying to repair the harm that was already done to this particular group or this particular community? So these are some questions that we need to ask ourselves when we are designing or developing a product, just trying to understand what values this product holds or what values this 
product or what values are imbibed in this product. That's one way to make sure that we are making more ethical products and we are making products that are not harming the society in any way. Nice. Yeah, I I really like how you describe like the use of values and thanks for sharing that example with social media as well. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Alan? Do you are you also thinking of it with values or are there other aspects that you're considering as well? Yeah, for me, I also, values are also sort of at the forefront. I do have to shout out Dr. Amy Brockman here at Georgia Tech because I just read a chapter of her upcoming book that's about this topic, so it's fresh on my mind. And yeah, I guess sort of the questions that I think we should be asking are pretty similar to what Yash was talking about. Like, how does this help individuals or how does this help communities or societies? Like, what kind of world are we striving towards with this product and I think that can sound kind of I think at first glance it sounds kind of overly utopian I guess and so I guess I want to say this doesn't mean that everything has to be you know like nonprofit or yeah but we should be cognizant about whether our work is offering something of value to people and overall creating a positive impact yeah, that's great. I also like how it builds off of Yash's previous question as well. Now, how about you, Connor? What are some aspects that you're kind of considering as like an HCI professional when you're creating more ethical products? Sure. So I think I have kind of like a mental starter pack of questions I try to ask myself when looking at a question like this. And values, the way Yash and Ellen described it, is definitely maybe the, the foremost question from that group. And another one I try to ask always is how a different technology or how a technology affects different groups of people. So particularly with an eye towards marginalized or otherwise disenfranchised or historically marginalized groups. I think keeping in mind the historical and you know social context of these questions can be a really trying to sort of broaden your mind in that way can really open up a lot of avenues of thought that you might not have considered otherwise. When you first considered, you know, maybe like you thought you have like a million dollar idea or something that you want to pitch to somebody. Another question that I try to ask is, could this be done differently? Like I think technological determinism is a trap a lot of people fall into thinking that, you know, well, somebody's going to build this technology, so it might as well be me. But I, th I think that is a false assumption. And it is in fact possible to shape the development of technology sort of as someone in the, the field and, you know, force it towards a more ethical or a different sort of incarnation of something. So, you know, questioning your assumptions about what is possible or what people might want to, <clears throat> to buy or something like that is, I think, really key. And then the, the final question I try to ask myself is if I know enough about a certain subject matter to do, to be developing a, like a com computing solution for it. So, you know, for instance, a good friend of mine works in a startup that is helping municipalities and, you know, cities optimize the routes of their public transportation in sort of, sort of an algorithmic way. But my friend actually comes from a city planning background. He has a master's in city planning. And I think the fact that that company is hiring people like my friend and not simply just training bunch of algorithms on a bunch of data is like a very positive example of what that should look like because he's truly an expert in that field of city planning and public transportation but you know somebody like me who just comes from an hci and computer science background would not be able to would not know the context of that field or the you know the nuances of the history around public transportation and maybe underserved communities and things like that so, you know, I think that like computing professionals should really act humbly towards a lot of the areas in which they work and recognize that maybe we are not the experts necessarily and, you know, look for to gain knowledge about something before trying to solve a problem. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think 
from all three of your responses, one thing that I'm really getting out of what you guys are saying is that there is a lot of sort of introspection and a lot of like sitting down with yourself and just kind of thinking at a very high level and thinking even very deeply about like what it is that you're trying to build and not kind of in a myopic what does this product look like but kind of the outward kind of ripples of that technology right and and even you know thinking about our own our own selves and what we value as as Yash and Ellen kind of emphasized thinking about what we value as people and in a way I feel like that makes our technologies so like vulnerable to human characteristics I think I don't know we I think there's like this notion especially in the tech industry that uh, I think Yash you mentioned this earlier that like technology kind of exists outside of society but I think from a data ethics perspective and from this introspection, yeah. it really drives home the idea that like technology is what we humans kind of make of it and do with it. And it's very much like a human process, which is so interesting to think about. But, you know, I think another thing that you guys kind of all mentioned in, in different parts of this conversation is that, you know, like a lot of times technology is made in, in a private industry and like a business setting. So in, in that setting where, you know, profits and business goals might take, might take precedence over ethics and, and kind of like the social impact of what we build... How can we, as people in HCI, who are a little bit more introspective or a little more in touch with the users, how do we advocate for more ethical product development? How do we build like sort of better value-based technology? What do you guys think about that? So Ellen, maybe you can start us off. Yeah, so I think it's really hard to imagine what an individual can do. So I think the most important thing is to sort of build up the infrastructure that will support more ethical product. And we've touched on this a little bit throughout this conversation already, but I think sort of diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts are key. Yash mentioned earlier, like it matters a lot what we're training our AI and machine learning uh, technologies on and diversity in those training sets is super important. And of course, the diversity of people creating the technology is also key. By having more diverse perspectives, we, I guess we reduce bias. And also Connor just mentioned about his friend who has the city planning background and is doing this public transportation work. And I think efforts like that to include people who are experts in the subject matter is also will be super important in creating ethical products. Another thing that I sort of don't have a lot of details on, but I, I think in the future, we will see more alternative business models that will change the way profit is made in technology. I don't have any ideas of what those business models will be, but I imagine that mm, people will come up with new ideas over the years. Mm. <laughs> I wonder if that would lead to more ethical questions or new ones based on those new business models. But okay, yeah, I think you're right. It is kind of like a systemic change and systemic effort that is going to kind of drive ethical product development as a whole. So I definitely agree. Connor, how about you? What are some ways that we can sort of advocate for ethical concerns in a business setting? That is uh, a great question. And I'm, I'm kind of tempted to say, like, let me work for a few years and get back to you. But because mm -hmm. I unfortunately haven't, you know, don't have a ton of industry experience making, like trying to decide these types of trade-offs. I, I do have a few thoughts that said, one is like involving the community of people that you're working with. I know in the program, we've been taught about a universal design or that's not the, the right one. It's uh, I'm blanking on the name, but basically the idea of like involving the community of users, like maybe participatory design is the phrase I'm looking for, you know, involving them in your design process as you design for them, I think is something that as much as possible should be done. So like full sign off on what Ellen um, 
was saying about that. One big thing I do think we can do on an individual level is uh, like to limit the assumptions and limitations of the things we're creating, whether that's like an ML model or a prototype or you know something like that, like and not fall into that trap of technological. I don't know, like utopian, like permanent fixes, I think is, is very helpful. I also am optimistic that businesses in the long term will see the value in being like pro ethics. And I think as much as like you can frame it as being like pro customer seems pretty smart, like pro user. I don't, I, I, that's where I maybe I'll have to get back to you on if I can actually sell that <laughs> once I'm working, but I guess, I guess we will see. And I also just wanted to endorse what Alan said about alternate business models. I think like seeing Substack models like journalism grow recently has been pretty cool. Like basically you can sign up to pay journalists to like directly and like subscribe to newsletters directly. And so they just get the money um, directly from you. So yeah, I think that's also something that's possible. So again, like thinking outside the box, kind of like I said earlier, I think is something to, to really try to, try to do. Yeah, that's great, Connor. I, I definitely think that, you know, as we move forward, you know, maybe corporations, especially the tech industry, which I think is still very young, you know, will kind of do kind of a full circle and sort of pay attention to corporate responsibility a little more, which I think the tech industry has kind of gotten away with not worrying too much about. But I think we're, the industry is definitely reaching kind of a maturity where, where these concerns are emerging as we've seen in other fields. Yeah. So in interesting, interesting meditations that maybe we can revisit in a couple of years once you've got a few years under your belt in the industry. But Yash, how about you? What are some ways that we can kind of advocate for more ethical products and what are some kind of ways we can engage with stakeholders and, and business partners to do so? Right. So the question that you asked earlier, Harshali, ties very closely to an argument that post-colonial studies make, which is that ethics and capitalism cannot go hand in hand with each other. Either one of them will suffer at the expense of the other. So when you're focusing more on capitalism, then ethics is going to suffer. Or when you're focusing more on ethics, capitalism is going to suffer. But that's just an argument that post-colonial studies make. And there are solutions to it. One solution is, of course, laws and legal institutions. So technology is evolving at such a rapid rate. It is innovating and expanding at such a rapid rate that legal institutions aren't able to keep up with it. They're not able to keep up with the pace at which technology is growing. But having laws and regulations that make sure that nobody can get away with harming a particular community or uh, harming a user is one very important step towards this. And this is something that legal institutions are working towards and having these laws can make a huge impact on how companies uh, work develop technologies that are not hurting any particular group or any particular part of the population. So making sure that we work towards laws and regulations that make sure that we do not develop technologies that are hurting anyone is one very important step towards make, towards this revenue versus ethics trade-off that we have. And another solution to this is having frameworks that we make sure companies abide by. So we already have frameworks for ethics-based design, value-based design, ethical AI. We have the FAIR framework, which is the fairness, accountability, interpretability, and responsible AI framework. There are various frameworks that exist out there which act as a guide for designers and developers to make sure that even though they are, the final goal is working towards increasing revenue for whichever organization they work for, they still abide by these frameworks to make sure that they are not hurting the society in any way through the products that they're developing or that they're making sure that they're working towards user welfare and they're working towards a more accountable, responsible, universal and inclusive 
products. So having these frameworks, which we make sure that all companies, designers, developers abide by is another important step to make sure that we can try and minimize this trade-off that we have with ethics versus revenue. Yeah, I think all three of your points are very interesting. Like I'm also pretty optimistic, um, like you, Connor, I think because we've seen a shift from like just businesses kind of going after like their own ideas or things that they think will sell and then just trying to push people to use them into like going out and making their products more user centered and more customer centered. I would hope that like I'm curious to see if that kind of evolves into making sure that they not only is it user centered, but they're thinking about these like ethical things and the social impact of their designs and products as well. I also agree with you on I think alternative Alternative business models will be interesting to look at. And I feel like some companies are already starting to do that. I can't think of any specific examples. It'll be interesting to see. And lastly, I think we'll probably see some type of regulation and laws and frameworks start being implemented at different businesses. I know it is interesting. There's always going, I, I really think with business, there's always going to be this trade-off of profit over like social impact or things like that. Because I don't, We've had this discussion in a couple of my classes, but like someone brought up something like could social impact or could ethical products ever be profitable, which just seems interesting to process and kind of wrap our heads around. But as we're kind of winding down this episode, it is time for our, one of our favorite parts of um, the podcast, which is the hot take. So what is the biggest ethical violation you've seen in the tech industry? And anyone can take it from here if you have one kind of off the top of your head. I can talk about something. Sure. I guess this isn't, I would necessarily call this an ethical violation but I, I think overall there are a lot of sort of wishy-washy data security practices just by everyone everywhere and I think that this is not it's not malicious but it stems from a lack of I guess technical literacy about security so like non like non-technical people handle sensitive data all the time like credit card numbers or every business has like the social security numbers of their employees so there's just sensitive data everywhere and I think now as someone who maybe knows a little bit more about security I, I, I tend to I feel like I notice security I, I, I tend to I feel like I notice things just like when I'm in a store or I'm at the doctor's office I just notice things that seem a little iffy and I Again, I don't think it's malicious. It's more just people don't know about the risk, the possible risk. And I hope that in the future, we'll be able to better educate everyone about data security and just, I guess, information literacy. So all of our data security practices can be more robust. I can give an example, which is regarding voice recognition assistance, something that we use on a daily basis. We have various home devices for it. It's there in our phones. But something that we often tend to ignore is the fact that all voice recognition assistants have a female voice or a female sounding voice. And everybody asks, like, why, why is it? Why is it that voice recognition assistants have a female voice? And not a lot of people know about it, but actually it's based more on a historical aspect in which, like, in the 1900s and 1800s, secretaries tended to be more, more secretaries tended, tended to be female as compared to uh, males. So voice recognition assistants have been modeled over this sort of secretary job in which you have somebody who you can give commands to, and that person is going to just quietly listen to everything you ask for. So, you know, that's what we do to voice recognition assistants. You shout commands, you're like, switch off the light. 
switch off the fan, do this, do that. And the voice recognition assistant just quietly listens to you. So it's been modeled on this very submissive, timid behavior that is linked to how secretaries used to behave back in the time. So this actually has a lot of negative repercussions because we are reinforcing this bias back in society that women's secretaries are submissive in nature and they listen to any command that you give them. So there has been a lot of criticism as to why all voice recognition assistants are female voiced and not male voiced. And there has been pushback, but companies generally don't tend to change these things because this is what is driving revenue for them. So they will not change it, despite the fact that you are, we are well aware that this does have negative repercussions in the society. There's a very good paper out there titled Alexa, Who's Your Mother, which actually talks about this, about the whole historical aspect of why voice recognition assistants have a female voice and how it is reinforcing a negative stereotype back in society. So yeah, that's one example. Yeah, thanks for sharing that example, Yash. Along with that, there's also this book called What Algorithms Want, that also includes that same topic that you just mentioned, which is the use of like female uh, sounding voices um, within these type of technologies, especially like voice interfaces, like Siri or Alexa. And that book also talks, even talks about algorithms and ethics and the use of algorithms as cultural machines, if anyone's interested in that, along with the uh, podcast recommendations that Ellen and Connor shared. But yeah, Connor, how about you? What's a hot take you have on ethical violations you've seen in the tech industry okay so i was trying to think of a hot take and i was getting kind of sad because a lot of stuff was coming to mind as far Mm. as big ethical violations so i thought i would be a little more optimistic i guess and say that my hot take is that like in 10 or 15 years like a lot of this will be way better i guess that's that's my hot take maybe because I, i'm not sure i totally believe it fully but i'm hopefully i'm speaking it into existence because i think there is like a market for all this type of thought that we're thinking of i mean I think now you posed a question earlier can like ethical products be profitable i'm not sure if that was exactly your wording but i i think they can i mean i try to buy as ethically as i can and so that's my my hot take is that you know, things are changing fast but that also means we can sort of turn them around just as quickly and so that hopefully that'll be uh what happens i, I kind of cheated a little bit i'm sorry but that's what i what i came up with oh that thanks for sharing that connor i think that was like one of the first positive hot takes we've had so that's really great definitely hot take but yeah harshali how about you what's a hot take you have Ooh, i don't know if i can think of one off the top of my head but i think okay here's here's one thing I'll, I'll throw out there and maybe i think ellen this kind of goes back to your point about like business practices with data and whatnot but i think like in order to for the tech industry to become like a generator of more ethical products i think the tech industry has to become more ethical in its own practices Right. Like if we don't want our technologies to be biased against certain groups or, you know, like if we don't want our voice technology to be biased against women, I think we need to not be biased against women and or like minorities or, you know, whatever groups. Right. And I think like if if we look at businesses today, like tech industry, like tech companies today, right, like we do see, you know, gender biases or biases against minorities or, you know, like not caring about the environmental impact of our products or whatever. And I think like those same values are then translated into the products that we build. And so I think like the change can't even, like the change in products will come from a change in people. And I think like as, as an industry, I think we need to, we need to change the way we think about ourselves and, and the world that we create and manufacture in our own companies. So that's kind of my hot take. I don't know if it's like hot, 
but but now throwing it back to you what do you think have you seen some Uh, big violations in your time I mean I guess this is a hot take I think I've had for multiple episodes now and I don't know how directly related it is to this topic but I think sometimes a violation itself is like that people throw out there like their actual products themselves could be a violation and I guess the reason I say that is kind of like we were talking about earlier sometimes problems don't need to be solved with a technological solution and sometimes those technological solutions that people make end up causing more problems which I think is what we've kind of been discussing like with the example of like social media that Yash mentioned like we use that to connect with people but then also ends up dividing people and then other types of products that I think recently I've noticed is like it even if the intention is like we are they're designing it to make it more like inclusive and making sure that they reach um, specific like for example like low SES populations or something but that ends up benefiting like people who don't really need it like people who are not in those populations and then they end up being able to use these products and then they like the gap just gets even wider but I think I'm not really speaking in complete sentences right now so I'm sorry (laughs) but but yeah I don't think I really have a hot take on this one either but yeah that's that's pretty much it for me Hmm. I, I like that we kind of came full circle back to unintended consequences, which is kind of where our conversation started. So that was a nice kind of circle back, a nice fitter right there. But all right, <laughs> to end this episode, which I, I feel like I thought so much during this episode, it was just so interesting and thought provoking. And I, we just want to say thank you to our guests, uh, Yash, Ellen, Connor, for, you know, being here and, and joining us on this episode, but also just making us think and and I don't know, engaging in this topic, which I think is a topic that more people need to engage in. So thank you so much for being here. And all to all of our listeners out there, tune in next time for an episode about stakeholder management. Because if you know, you know. And if you don't, yikes. <laughs>